0: Now for agribusiness news, markets and weather from Studio C. This is Agriculture Today.
1: And then just just to conclude um you know it's been very interesting to watch the US <laughs> and Brazilian exports converge and and it's still not over. I mean I don't you know there was a time it seemed I seemed, it seemed safe that maybe Brazil was going to pass us.
2: At USDA's recent ag outlook forum Stephen McDonald, a fiber analyst at USDA.
1: And uh, this is us. usually we don't present at this conference any breakout of other countries, but it, it's just an interesting year. And uh, so at least this one time we just presented what, we, what it, it currently looks like we might have on the uh, competitor exports and that the U.S. will still be uh, exporting more than Brazil. Um, but we don't have a big track record on publishing forecasts for exports this time of year.
0: Ag News Now. Agriculture Today.
3: We're also dealing with a weakened global economy, especially compared to the U.S. economy. Speaking at Commodity Classic, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. As you all know, uh, unemployment uh, is high in this country. Unemployment is at historic lows. That's not necessarily the case in other parts of the world. And while we grapple with inflation, the rate of inflation uh, is uh, coming down and it is much lower than it is in many other countries. And as a result, there isn't as much demand as there once was. And that's particularly true in China. Just a word of caution about China. I know there's a lot of conversation in coffee shops around the country about the ownership of foreign land by foreign owners, of our land by foreign owners. And often this is in the context of China. The ownership of foreign land by China is relatively small. It's less than one-tenth of one percent of the entire land mass of the US. There are concerns about the location of where that land might be owned, especially if it is connected to or clear near a military installation. But the ownership of, of land has become a, a focal point of conversation in this country. And as a result, the Chinese are obviously paying attention. And just a reminder, they are our number one export market. And so it's a difficult and nuanced conversation we need to have in this country uh, about China's role Uh, and the importance of the export markets in China, at the same time making sure that we're protecting uh, our capacity uh, to know who and when land is being purchased by foreign ownership. The strong U.S. economy also reflects itself in a strong U.S. dollar, which can sometimes make it difficult uh, for us to export. So what do we do about all of that? Well, first of all, we've had record levels of exports in the last couple of years, uh, and I expect and anticipate those record levels to continue. But it's important for us to diversify our markets away from the single reliance on the Chinese market, looking at opportunities in Southeast Asia, in Central America, and in South America. And it was for that reason, at the request of Senator Stabenow and Bozeman, a bipartisan request, that we utilized resources under the Commodity Credit Corporation to establish the Regional Agricultural Promotion Program. Now that's a mouthful, but essentially what it is, is resources that we can put into ag marketing that we've not had uh, increases in for quite some time. You're familiar with the ag marketing programs, the the foreign market development program, uh, the market assistance program. Those have historically been funded at pretty stable levels for the last number of years. Well, this RAP program now has over a billion dollars invested in it. We just announced recently a $300 million allocation from that RAP fund. We got over a billion dollars in requests to utilize those resources. Now, those resources are going to allow us to focus on all of the markets other than the top four markets. We already spend a great deal of time and effort and resources on those top four markets, uh, China, Mexico, Canada, and alike. But now this gives us a tremendous opportunity to focus on those lower-level uh, markets. It allows us to have more people, more promotions, more presence in those markets, to be able to continue to do the job that you all do on the farm, which is to tout the stability and the safety and the quality of what we raise in this country. In fact, the Deputy Secretary... Tora Small is currently in Africa, having spent nearly a week there, uh, touring a number of countries in an effort to try to promote more opportunity. Uh, during that period of time, she and those who accompany her on this trade mission have already participated in 122, that's 122 separate meetings uh, with potential buyers of agricultural commodities. So it's an opportunity for us to do this in an expanded way. Uh, this is one of seven trade missions that will take place in 2024 again focused on diversifying our market opportunity it's agriculture today
0: with agriculture today here's tony st james
4: couple of firsts first time in houston first time to have the epa administrator here as well
2: tim lost is ceo national sorghum producers From Houston, site of the 2024 Commodity Classic.
4: Solidly attended. Uh, I guess that's what you say. We broke another record. So I think that's a really positive sign in terms of involvement and continuing to have people involved in this event. Uh, Always good to have the people that are directly involved in in making rules and legislation uh, that impact our industry. Uh, here, So had a good group of congressional people in and out as well as uh, a lot of USDA and EPA staff in and out. So good opportunity to interact with them this week and uh, a lot of issues to continue to work through.
2: Ex-Secretary Tom Vilsack and EPA Administrator Michael Regan at Commodity Classic. What was the top issue for EPA? We always think
4: about pesticide issues and those when we talk EPA and those of course are always still there but uh you know obviously when we look at uh you know a rule that actually was going to come out of Treasury and in, in regards to some of the biofuel pathways uh tied to some of the IRA funding um you know we're expecting that today didn't quite get that uh, announced it's going to be a couple more weeks but Something that's really important for our industry, certainly, uh, you know, how um, sorghum goes into biofuel and how these carbon models uh, uh, look at that and what that does is something that, uh, you know, for the first time really in my career uh, is going to have real value and and impact from a dollar standpoint uh, on those ethanol plants and back on the producer's. Uh, but it's gonna, it's gonna take data that, uh, we, we don't really normally collect and we normally don't really share. And so it's, it's certainly gonna take a different process over the next few years, but, uh, continue to work with, uh, EUSDA and EPA and other agencies, uh, on
2: those rules because they're just critical to, uh, to where some of this is going. While sorghum exports are valuable, the domestic industry is vital.
4: It still just remains the critical bedrock of our domestic, uh, demand. And, uh, you know, whether it's wide energy in, in, in your backyard or, or whether it's our Kansas plants, it's critical to, uh, our, our domestic markets. And then if the international markets want it, they got to come in and, and pay on top of that to get access to it. So, really still important to us in terms of that and, in terms of, uh, where that demand is. This is from, uh, from a domestic standpoint
2: once again china has been a top buyer of u.s sorghum yeah good good purchases
4: again last week from china and so while uh, their economy has slowed down a bit they've still been uh buying sorghum very very aggressively and so that's certainly still important to us and then just continue to look around the world too at what other opportunities and options there are uh because certainly appreciate uh the fact that, uh, you know, uh, we do have continued population growth around the world and uh, have to continue to look at what those opportunities
2: are and wherever they are. But again, sorghum not traded on an exchange so we have to rely on bases you
4: know that's the, the the one mark that is the hardest to control and the one that really matters and uh you know i think as we look over uh the last several years in sorghum certainly we've seen that appreciation in basis uh, one of those measurements uh for the first time ever in 2024 the price selection for sorghums above corn well that doesn't happen unless you've had prices the last several years where sorghum was above corn so Certainly that basis has continued to keep up and uh, creep up, and that, that export component is a part of it,
2: as well as a really strong biofuels domestic industry as well. Tim Law, CEO, National Sorghum Producers. It's Agriculture Today. This is Agriculture Today.
5: I spent the first 17 years of my career in the oil industry. I'm a chemical engineer by trade. Ron
2: Beatty is Senior Director for Refined fuels economics for chs Synex.
5: I, I worked in petrochemicals refineries uh, did some pipelines and terminals work branded work and we had a family choice um where i married a midwest girl from minnesota and we had a four-year-old daughter and for family reasons we went back to minnesota and found a job and i met chs as part of this and their mission in energy was so refreshing They're the only energy company that I'm aware of where you can look strategically. Your money is going, that you make is going to the farmer instead of a hedge fund. It was just a a wonderful value fit where you're worried about energy security and and feeding the world. Um, So the, the value base really, really drove us home there for CHS.
2: So what does he focus on under the title of refined fuels? Is it the emerging energy industry? There's a couple of main
5: points. That are going on right now. If you read the headlines, there's hydrogen and electrification and, and, and some trade, there's this stuff called SAF, right, sustainable aviation fuel. And there's a lot of people who are adjacent to the farm. There's a lot of these energies that may be made out of biofuels in the future, right? And biofuels are basically from the farm. They're from corn and soybeans and vegetable oils like canola. And so there's a lot of potential for agricultural products to go further into supply chain. But the other big takeaway is change is hard, right? This is going to go slow. This is a revolution, not an evolution. And while the buzz and the marketing push can be sound really overwhelming at times, I want the farmer to know it's going to be slow, and, and diesel is going to be fueling your tractor for an awful long time for the foreseeable future, um, because heavy-duty applications don't have the same potential as like a light-duty car, where you can put a battery in and move that car around. So... You know, Diesel's going to be there to stay,
2: and change is going to be slow, and that, that's really the point. So with all these changes coming to the energy industry, will there be a time when we won't have or need diesel? The simple answer to that question
5: is, is no. I, I think diesel is a thing where we may make the diesel out of a newer raw material. So instead of old crude oil, maybe we make it out of new vegetable oil. Right, but it will still be diesel. Um, It will meet the specifications of diesel. If you put that product in your uh, equipment, you shouldn't know the difference. If we're doing our job on the refined fuel side and making a good product. And things like sustainable aviation fuel are, there's a lot of technology to be invented yet. Um, We have to go through demo plants and figure out how to scale this up. These
2: technologies have a lot of promise, but they are not a sure thing at this point. So if we're talking refined fuels and this emerging energy industry will there be changes in our fields so
5: i think the answer over the long run is yes but it's not going to be a disruption this will not be an overnight change as we increase demand for renewable diesel in california right there are more people who need soybean oil to make that renewable diesel but soybean oil is only 20% of the bean right and and so the there is a pull on that, and it is making an impact, but it's, it's going to be slow before it would be enough to maybe lift the entire agricultural complex and, and shift it in that way. If that's an easy way of saying that. It will be slow, It and it, and but it, they are
2: new markets for their products, right? And, and that is a, a positive factor. Ron Beatty with CHS Cenex. It's agriculture today.
0: Ag News Now. Agriculture Today.
3: We're also encouraged by the reaction that farmers and ranchers and producers have had to the Climate Smart Agriculture Initiative that was was really in uh, assessment launched last year at Commodity Classic when we signed uh, the first two agreements.
2: Speaking in Houston at Commodity Classic 2024, Ag Secretary Tom
3: Vilsack. We've seen farmers step up. We see farmers understand that this is another way of in, of reducing input costs. By utilizing the resources from the Climate Smart Agriculture Initiative uh, to essentially pay for uh, climate smart practices, and working with the market to create new value-added opportunities so the producers actually receive a market premium for what they grow. Now I haven't had a chance to speak much about the Farm Bill. Well, we don't have a Farm Bill yet, and we don't have a budget either. Um, here's my pledge though. We'll eventually get a Farm Bill. But in order to get a farm bill, it's going to be necessary for our policymakers to be creative. The needs are great. The resources are limited. So it's important to utilize every possible creative solution and opportunity. One of those creative solutions and opportunities is to look at ways in which the Commodity Credit Corporation can, as it has in the past, been creatively used to provide the kind of support and help for commodities across the board without the necessity of reducing uh, the conservation resources available under the Inflation Reduction Act, without necessarily going back on the agreement that was reached in terms of the SNAP program when the debt ceiling was raised, that we can and should be utilizing this resource as it was intended when it was created during the Great Depression. It is a creative tool that will give the flexibility and opportunity for our policymakers To try to meet the significant needs that you all have identified as being important to modernizing our farm bill. You know, there's a great philosopher by the name of George Bernard Shaw who once said that some people look at things as they are and say, why? But others dream of things that never were and say, why not? So I come to the Commodity Classic today to ask you to dream along with us about more exports to more customers worldwide, about more biofuels to more customers here at home, about more sustainable aviation fuel linked to and produced by you, the American producer, about more fertilizer produced here in the U.S., with less reliance on that which is produced elsewhere, about more climate-friendly agriculture that reduces costs and increases profits, about more new and better markets that provide opportunities for small and mid-sized producers and new and beginning farmers about a farm bill, a budget, a commodity credit corporation, and an IRA tool that can be used creatively by our policymakers to make it easier for you to do what you need to do. And most important of all, I dream of the day when every single farm family and every ranch family in this great country can do what they love to do, and then to be able to sit around the coffee table, the dining room table, with their sons and daughters and their grandchildren, and be able to say to them that yes, you too will have that opportunity, and your children and their children will have that opportunity to continue to be among the most productive and best farmers, ranchers, and producers in the world. You, the farmers, ranchers, and producers of the United States, are at the foundation and at the center of what has become the greatest nation on earth, and we need to make sure that you continue to be able to make that contribution. It's
0: Agriculture Today. With Agriculture Today, here's Tony St. James.
6: I'm happy to say that the National Sorghum Producers Partnership for Climate Smart Commodities with USDA is is rolling. Formerly with the United Sorghum Checkoff Program, John Duff is with Cerro Ag. Um, we implemented uh, last year. We're one of the first programs to implement. In fact, we were the first. We, uh, National Sorghum Producers enrolled the, the very first participant in the country for the program um, in eastern New Mexico. And so uh, really, really proud to say that, that we've enrolled and that we've implemented and that we're going forward. Uh, 2023 saw... Uh, 24 growers, I think, enrolled, uh, about 10,000 acres, 90 uh, fields, give or take. And we collected data, and we collected uh, yield information, we collected uh, harvest information, we collected uh, dates, key dates, plant, um, spraying, harvest, uh, fertilizer rates. Uh, And then we, uh, after some some verification processes at the end of the year, uh, we paid those growers timely for the uh, sustainability practices that they implemented um, and in exchange for the data. Uh, did all that timely. We're one of the first grants to actually get that done. And so really excited about uh, what that means and what the implications are. So over the past year, have they found the quote unquote landmines? Yeah, you can call them landmines. That's what they are. Uh, this is, stuff's really hard. I mean, uh, it, even even for the... Most uh, sophisticated record keepers, the most detailed record keepers that have tremendous records and in many cases they 're completely electronic digitized in a farm management platform or you know in JD ops or something there is still a lot of cleanup that has to go on behind the scenes. Farm data uh, is just a, a complex beast and it 's very nuanced and there 's a lot of things to think about and If you really want to uh, get at the carbon intensity of crop production. Uh, it, it It takes a lot of data broken out in a very granular and very specific way uh, and, and and quantified and expressed in units uh, that make it easy to to make comparisons and to make calculations to translate into carbon intensity for example and that is is not easy to do um, it 's just the nature of this. I think there's a lot of folks right now that um that are, are making a lot of promises to farmers uh, downstream um of the farm gate like our customers and upstream of the farm gate as well in the form of our suppliers that are expecting a lot out of the farmer asking a lot out of the farmer um and i think they're going to get a lot out of the farmer but we're kind of learning as they are uh that they're they're really gonna have to pay for it um because it's really hard to collect the information that uh that they're really wanting so i think the The opportunity for farmers in this sustainability space uh, is staggering and significant, but it's going to be a challenge. It it really is. But where are we going? Uh, Intended this grant uh, as a practice run for when we get the opportunity to hit those sustainability biofuels markets at scale. Uh, The Section 45Z ethanol producers tax credit uh, will give us kind of our first opportunity to do that at scale expecting rules right now on that or this all on that program so we're we're watching those things right now uh and we we don't really know what that's going to look like but we're taking the opportunity we have right now through the grant to practice doing these things at scale because as i said before it's really hard it's very nuanced the data is is difficult to work with and in many cases it it's hard to assign an overhead uh input uh to to one specific field or one specific crop so things like that that you kind of have to work through, Um, and it's going to be a couple of years before we fully work through it.
2: It's Agriculture Today.
0: This is Agriculture Today.
1: Total wheat supplies in 24-25 are forecast at nearly 2.7 billion bushels, 6% higher than 23-24.
2: Speaking at the recent USDA Ag Outlook Forum, Jake Villamon with USDA looking at the nation's wheat crop.
1: This reflects a higher expected carrion and larger production. Carrion is projected at 658 million bushels, as 23-24 exports have so far failed to take off and will likely leave us with with larger totals to end the current crop year. Production, meanwhile, is forecast to rise 5%, despite the smaller planted area that I mentioned earlier. Underpinning larger production estimates for wheat, despite less planted area, are improved conditions in key wheat growing regions. As you can see from these two maps, the left-hand side depicts the end of January 2024, and the right-hand side depicts the end of January 2023. Drought is less severe in Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, eastern Colorado, and Montana than this time last year. This should support yields rebounding to 49.5 bushels per acre, a 2% increase year over year. Better conditions also support an improved harvested ratio in 24-25, which we anticipate at about 82%. This is higher than last year's 75% when drought led to higher abandonment. With lower abandonment in 2024-25, it's anticipated that harvested acres will rise 3% above 23-24 to 38.4 million acres. On the use side of the wheat balance sheet, the outlook for 24-25 is for steady food use, rising exports, and a higher carryout. Exports are projected to reach 775 million bushels in the out year, up 7% from the 52-year low export number that is expected in the current crop year. With exports still low relative to history, more wheat will have to be stocked and the carryout for 24-25 is forecast to rise 17% to nearly 770 million bushels. To provide a little context, the difficulty U.S. wheat has faced in global markets, I've plotted the top five wheat exporters and their shipments over the past 10 trade years. As you can see, U.S. wheat shipments have not picked up despite disruptions caused by the war between Russia and Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russia has dramatically increased wheat exports over the past several years and pulled away from the pack. In the most recent trade year, they're expected to ship 14.5 million more tons of wheat than the second place European Union, which has itself seen a steady rise in trade over the past few years. This very competitive environment has made it difficult for the U.S. to gain market share, particularly given the price sensitivity of some of the customers served by Russia and the EU. So that concludes the highlights that I wanted to share for the three major crops. To summarize some of the key themes, in 24-25, we expect larger supplies that are only partially met by increased domestic use and firming global demand around the world. Meanwhile, competition in the global marketplace from other exporters is expected to be stiff. This will cause use that trails supply growth, and it will in turn lead to a higher carryout and prices that continue to moderate from the elevated levels of the past few years. Looking ahead, we'll have a prospective perspet- plantings report in March, and then at the May WASDI, there will be survey-based forecasts for winter wheat production. We'll also do international supply and use estimates for the first time in 2425, for the 2425 crop year, and we'll update the 2425 U.S. balance sheet. Jake
2: Villeman of USDA with his 2024 outlook for grains and oil seeds at the annual USDA Ag Outlook Forum in Arlington, Virginia. It's agriculture today.
0: You're listening to Agriculture Today.
4: Significant wildfire activity in North Texas this week, perhaps curtailed somewhat Thursday, thanks to weather conditions and impacted areas. As USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey explains,
0: We are seeing some clouds and even some light rain and wet snow moving across some of these fire-affected areas. So at least a temporary bit of relief for firefighters still trying to contain the edges of some of these formerly fast-moving blazes, which have now become more smoldering blazes, but still active in many cases.
4: Yet there is concern of a return of conditions that fueled multiple fast spreading wildfires Monday and Tuesday of this week.
0: We're getting back into a situation where we're going to have to watch that area if these fires aren't fully extinguished by the weekend. We have another round of hot, windy weather coming late in the weekend and early next week. To date, more than 1 million acres have burned from just the top five active wildfires in Texas. I'm Rod Bain reporting in Washington, D.C.